Allison, it's awesome to be with you again. You as well, Wit. I'm always happy to chat with you. And today's interview, we are featuring uh, one of the most remarkable leaders in our community. And so we hope that you'll enjoy this, that you'll learn something. So without further ado, here's Dave Ernest. Welcome. We have Dave Ernest here, and we are thrilled to have you join us. Dave, how are you doing? Well, thanks a lot. Um, happy to be here. Um, strange times these days. Uh, I would rather be at my office or, or out working in the community somewhere, but um, you know, in my living room talking to you and, and, and enjoying things, trying to anyway. Well, that's good. And you know, we're we're honored that we are at least somewhat welcome into your living room. I know <laughs> it's not the same, but it counts for something. How are you and Margaret doing? Are you guys keeping each other company, not driving each other nuts? Well, it's it's we've been married 42 years next month. It's the most time we've ever spent together. Um, and and I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I am actually working out of the home and uh, um, I'm at being older and, and some other risk factors. I don't need to get out into the community. Margaret actually works at Piedmont. So um, she has to go to work. She hasn't missed any work, but we spend a lot more time on weekends in the evening together because we don't go anywhere or do anything. I, I give her a hard time and tell her that she's my biggest threat in my life. It's because she comes home from Piedmont every day. But she, she takes great precautions to uh, not bring it home. And she doesn't work in part of the hospital where, where they have COVID patients. So um, remind me, what does your wife do at Piedmont? Because that's, I mean, that's a big place. And to be that integral into what's happening right now has got to be um, fascinating for her and, you know, tough, but really great that she's able to be a part of that. Well, she just had her 25th anniversary at uh, Athens Regional, now Piedmont. And uh, all the time, she's been a diabetes educator. So she does a lot of speaking in the community, a lot of classes. Um, and uh, she uh, is an active in other things. She's actually, um, I've been involved with nonprofits now for over, over 34 years. And um, Margaret's always been probably one of my best volunteers. Everything, any, anything we need, anything she can pitch in, she helps with. Between the two of you guys, that's a lot of community service. I would imagine that that's some of what makes y'all's partnership so strong is just the way that you both are so committed to others. Um, what does, do you guys feed off of each other of the things that you're learning in your work lives um, to impact what you guys are doing individually and then can do together? Well, I, I think so. Both of us have a strong commitment to, to helping others. We both came from families where where doing things for others and, and volunteering was very important. Um, I'm real proud of the work she does and um, she puts a lot of time into, into, into community service and particularly at the church. And, um, you know, we, we, it's just a good partnership. You know, we will we, be married 42 years next month and, and um, the whole time uh, um, we've been doing things, you know, doing things in the community. It's, it's always been an important part of our lives, an important part of our marriage. You mentioned uh, that your families um, raised you in a way that was very um, involved in the community and very oriented on um, contributing to the community at large. Uh, you actually have a tie to United Way because of your family. Is that right? Yeah, I uh, actually, I grew up in Wisconsin. 
a, a city called Kenosha and uh, very proud of that. And we were a solidly middle-class family. My father was an engineer at American Motors, which was a car building plant, uh, car plant manufacturing plant in, in my hometown. And, um, but despite that, mom and dad had uh, four sons who had cystic fibrosis, which is a hereditary disease. And it takes a lot of time and energy and commitment, uh, to, in, particularly in the 50s and 60s and early 70s, to keep children alive who had cystic fibrosis. The average life expectancy back in those days was, was about 12. And um, because of the great financial strain, um, what was then uh, 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 the, the Kenosha County Fund, which which was Community Chest, mm -hmm. which became United Way, um, they on occasion helped our family. Um, and they helped through uh, providing transportation or hotel costs when they had to go up to the state capitol in Madison, when one of my brothers had to go up there for at a research hospital for special treatment or was particularly ill. And I can remember a couple of times when United Way or, or Community Chest helped us uh, help the family purchase some, some medical equipment, uh, oxygen tent and things like that. And uh, my brother, uh, the last brother who has cystic fibrosis died in 1971. He was 12. And uh, almost from that moment on, we went, we shifted from being thankful to what are we gonna do to pay it forward? Um, and you know, that, that wasn't a term we used back then, but that's basically what it was. And dad became very committed, and so did the entire family, to, to just doing what we could in the community. He later moved to Mississippi, bought a business, and um, I'll always remember how proud he was that, you know, that he, was, he was part of the United Way campaign. He, uh, his business was always 100% um, in giving. It only had about 25 employees, but still, uh, they, it was 100%. And I do know that every once in a while to make that 100%, he would give on behalf of somebody so who maybe couldn't afford it themselves. But again, he, other service organizations, like I said, he was involved with the United Way. Um, when, he ran, when he was running the business, his church was his biggest involvement. And then when he retired, I think he you know, putted around the house for a couple of years and decided it was very difficult for a very busy man to transition to not being as busy. So it became a lion in Lions Club. Mm -hmm. And uh, within five years, he was National Lion of the Year. So, uh, you know, that's very, very proud of him. And, and, and um, you know, my mom was always involved in, very heavily involved in the church and some of those organizations. But uh, from the very first, first, so since the very early 70s, you know, I was taught and, and not, I was, I learned through watching my parents that, um, you know, it's important to give, it's a joy to give and whether it's your time or your resources or your talent, all of us have something to give, uh, even if we can't write the big check. I think you've said this before, you didn't intend to do this, even though it's no. <laughs> very much in you. <laughs> no, we, uh, when we first moved to, we moved to Athens in 1984 started at the University of Wisconsin and I transferred to Mississippi State in Starkville. That's where I met my wife. She's from Starkville. And um, we came over here to do my doctorate in 1984 at UGA. And I had a job in student affairs, was on a good career path. And at the time I was uh, working uh, in family housing. 
and um, a group from the state uh, office of prevent, which was what was then the Georgia Council on Child Abuse that became Prevent Child Abuse Georgia. Um, I invited them in to do some programming for our parents to do a, to do a, a, a talk to our parents about positive parenting, positive discipline. And I was, that was one of my responsibilities in my job was to plan, you know, programming for the, for the residents. And uh, we sat around talking afterwards and uh, they were interested in not just being an Atlanta organization. They were work, they were looking at, uh, uh, expanding statewide into what was called councils. And they had some going already, including they had some activity here. Uh, my predecessor, Prevent Child Abuse Georgia, had started an organization here, but it had, been, it had floundered and kind of gone away by the time I started the job. I was located here in Athens, so my first job was to try to get, you know, the one here restarted. It took. It had several names through the years, but most people would notice known as as, as Prevent Child Abuse Athens, and uh, I helped start 64 other organizations around the state of Georgia that were similar. And over the years, they, you know, they ranged from very very small, you know, all volunteer organizations to very sophisticated organizations. And um, I, like I said, I helped refound the organization here, restart it. And uh, it is it has prospered ever since. That's which is not because of me, but um, just remarkable people who've worked in this organization back in the early 2000s when the Great Recession, Depression, whatever you want to call it, hit. Prevent Child Abuse Georgia had to. I was I was downsized. Um, mm -hmm. That's it was part of it. I understood. I was a consultant as it was. Ran the largest nonprofit up in Gainesville for five years. It was a, it was a an organization that was for uh, children with young children with disabilities, uh, two hundred students, uh, wonderful place. But when the job opened up here, we never sold our home. I consider myself an Athenian since the eighties, so I uh, the, the old the former executive director CEO retired. I came back home to both my community, and uh, the the organization I had worked twenty two years in already and. And it's just like coming home. My wife gives me a hard time because I, I do remember when I took the job, I was on a good career path at UGA. I could have retired, you know, a couple of few years ago with my 30 years. And I remember promising her at the time. She was real, she was concerned because I was leaving it for an organization with no retirement and was, you know, nonprofit workers. She was for me doing it because she knew it was in my heart. But, you know, when you have, we had one young child and, and another one on the way. And um, it was a big step. I was moving into an organization that, you know, like I said, nonprofits are, are not as stable as the University of Georgia. I didn't have, we wouldn't have health insurance. We had to shift to have her health insurance. Never worked since that time for an organization that had a retirement plan. So it was a big leap of faith. And um, I wouldn't trade a minute of it. Um, ever since there's been email, I have the signature in my email has been, uh, it's an old Confucius quote that says, find a job you'll love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And uh, I've told people over and over that, that you know, that that's me. I've lived that, that I've, I've had not only prevent child abuse Athens and then bright paths, um, but all the jobs in the nonprofit arena. And even the job before that teaching and then coaching and then at UGA, I've always been real fortunate uh, in terms of, of 
of, of where I've worked and, and the work I've been able to do. It's been a real privilege working with volunteers and, and, and the staff that I have. You know, I inherited a, a good organization. I, you know, I certainly helped found it, but in the time, in the 20-something years since I had did that and did serve as a consultant here, you know, the, the people here were doing a remarkable job. Sometimes you take a job and your first goal is to, hey, let's not mess this up. And uh, it's grown in the last few years. We've grown in terms of the number served. We've grown in terms of both the number and I think the the quality of the staff that we've had have in terms of um, they're just remarkable people. Uh, it's the programs and services we provide are not easy to do. Um, going into people's homes and, and doing home visitation programs and and teaching parenting classes. I think a lot of people know a little bit of the pieces of what you all do at Bright Paths, but can you outline what all you cover? Because there's a there's a lot that you cover. Our, our, our goal is to prevent child abuse. Uh, we want to, uh, before it ever occurs. For a long time, we had, we've been Prevent Child Abuse Athens. That's still our corporate name. Um, but uh, one of my goals here, anybody who takes over a leadership position, has things that they'd like to see change. Because I even, I tried to do this at the state level and we just couldn't get it done um, because we're part of a national, Prevent Child Abuse America, which is, and we're part of Prevent Child Abuse Georgia. We don't get resources from them. Uh, we don't send them resources. We share a name and a mission. And over about a year and a half period, but because all of our programs and activities um, are volunteer. In other words, people come to us because they want to be better parents. They come to us because they want their children to be in a, in a safe, rich home environment. They come to us for a lot of reasons, but the name Prevent Child Abuse Athens would kind of, kind of scare people away in terms of, of coming into an organization on a volunteer basis, keeping services. So what we tended to do is we tended to call ourselves by our different programs names to the participants. First Steps, Healthy Families, uh, the Nurturing Parenting Program. And one of the things I wanted to do was kind of shift that image to a more positive one. The goal is still the same, mm -hmm. and that's to prevent child abuse and create great childhood for all children. Uh, and we can do that through helping parents become the most effective and positive parents that they can be. We came up with the name Bright Paths. We, we like that name, number one, uh, because it does... It's, it's a more positive uh, sounding name. Uh, and number two, I think the best part about it is, is um, I, I had this discussion with the person with the company that was helping us. They wanted to say Bright Path because um, I guess having an S on the name of an organization is, sounds, I think it's a little clumsy when you write it or something. It was, and, and we, my staff and I insisted that we name, name it Bright Paths because we wanted to clearly demonstrate to the public or at least show in some way to the public that there is no one way to becoming a positive parent. There is no one way to becoming a great parent. There's no one path to great childhoods that we help parents find that way. What, where they, where we, we work on strength-based models. We, we take them where they are and try to get them to a better place. And that's not the same for all people. There is, there is no one, there's not a book that teaches parents how to, how to become great parents and uh, how to become effective parents. 
Um, we like to say that parenting is the most important job in the world, but it's probably the one we're least prepared for. There is no training to be a parent other than our own parents. And sometimes that's wonderful, and sometimes that's not so wonderful. And then there's other times that even if we came from a great home, there are things in our own lives, whether they stresses that causes sometimes uh, parents uh, to have difficulty in parenting their own children. And so what we try to do is take these parents where they are and, uh, and, and provide them with as many resources and support systems that they can. And um, if we can help a parent become, if we can help parents um, become positive, effective parents, um, that's not only gonna impact, impact that family, that's not only gonna impact that child, you're impacting the future. Because uh, parents that have um, strong parenting skills are less likely to be abusive, which means their, chi their children are, most, are less likely to be abusive to their own children. So you're really, um, you really are making a difference um, in the future. And that's one of the best parts about my job is we're not only making a difference now, I think that we're building, um, I think what we're doing is gonna pay long-term dividends in the community. Given your involvement um, with this organization and, and your own family, were there things that you have learned from the organization or things you learned as a parent yourself that you've been able to help um, guide some of the organization's programs where you say, oh man, I wish I had had this when I had a two-year-old. I think back, and, and the answer is yes. Um, I think back on my own experience, my, my youngest son, uh, he was actually born with two dents in his forehead. I'll never forget that. It scared me to death. And I was thinking, you know, it would be nice to, uh, if, if someone could have helped me out a little bit, you know, that would have been nice. We were well-educated. We came from two wonderful families and we thought we were ready to be parents. But I tell the story often. I'll never forget the first time um, I held my son, Margaret couldn't hold Robert. And I'll never forget them putting a gown on me and sitting me in a chair and handing me my son and handing me a bottle. And the nurse walked out the door and I had never held a newborn in my life. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know where to stop. And I was scared to death. And I think that's the premise that a lot of our programs are built on, that um, no matter how prepared we think we are, I think everybody can use a little bit of help. Um, not everybody wants to reach out for them, but we're there for them if they are seeking some help and advice. My boys were, uh, I had two sons. Uh, they're actually an absolute joy to raise. Sometimes we look back and say, did we miss something? Because nothing seems to be going wrong. But um, I do know as I look back, I think that in, in terms of, of, of being patient and being positive, um, I did not raise my sons the way my father raised me. So uh, I, I, looking back, I think I would have enjoyed participating with, with in a parenting class like we provide because it not only provides good information, it provides opportunities for socialization I think if there's also a component of, I'm not the only one out there that doesn't know all the answers, and uh, particularly in our parenting classes, and um, because they're group settings. And um, I, one of my biggest thrills is, is the CEO 
you know, I don't do the home visits. I don't do the hospital visits. I don't teach the classes. I have at one time, but I, I don't uh, teach them anymore. But I do attend their graduations when I can. And I do attend um, the Healthy Families, one of our programs, graduations. And I do meet the parents when we provide them with activities, um, pumpkin patch visits, strawberry farm picking, uh, splash pads. Uh, we provide them with lots of social opportunities because that's an, that allows them to learn from one, other, one another. And I think that's an important part of our model is we don't hold ourselves up as experts and say that we have all the information you need. We have every answer that you need. We help them all get to the places they need and they can help each other get to that place too. It's just a lot of fun to hear them talk about what they've learned and uh, watch, the, watch them interact with their children because I do know that at times that wasn't always the case. And to see the joy and the pride um, they take from parenting is just something that's almost priceless to me. How can people plug in with you guys right now? We, we do have a website. It's uh, www.brightpathsathens.org. Um, there's a donate button on there. If someone has some talent or some time or some resources that, and they're interested in us, we'll find something you know, for them to do. And if we won't, we'll steer them to another organization. Volunteers are just very in, inspiring to me. And uh, I've been a volunteer uh, and I know that all of us have something that we can bring to the table, but you know, volunteers are you know they do it because they're interested because they care because they want their community to be better and you know what's better than that if you think about it what's better than that um, you know with all the stress that's in, in crises that's happening in our community right now who can't look at the television and or listen to the news and smile a little bit when they see people giving out food and supplies and doing things in our community uh, to help, you know, whether you believe or not that it takes a village, uh, villages come in handy at times. And, and when people step up to the plate and do things like that, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's just very inspirational to me. I'm, I'm a big quotes guy. And uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote uh, very simply, he wrote, spread the joy. And that's what being a volunteer is. You're, you're spreading the joy. What has been bringing you joy lately? Well, that's a tough question right now, is, you know, being stuck at home since March 12th. But um, <laughs> more long term, uh, again, I've already mentioned, I get a lot of joy out of working with volunteers. And, and that includes my board members. People sometimes forget that board members are volunteers. Yes. They're giving their time. They're giving a lot of time uh, uh, to, to the organization. And because I spent so long and so many years uh, kind of coaching organizations in terms of community development on up into growth of an organization, I understand that volunteers of all kinds are the lifeblood. And uh, I'm working with some people now that on my board that uh, even after, you know, doing this so long, you know, you know, when you get as old as I am and you've been doing this as long as I have, you get to, in your mind, you get to create volunteer halls of fames. And I've got some people on my board right now that would definitely be in my all-time hall of fame. And, um, you know, it's just, 
that that brings um, joy to me. Better, I better say it. I'm spending. I'm, I'm getting a lot of joy out of spending extra time on my wife. I'm not. I'm not so sure she would say the same thing. Um, but um, you know, it's 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 a period in in our country's history and our community's uh, history that that none of us have ever been through before. Um, and it's it's COVID. It's social unrest. It's it's a lot of things going on. And uh, again, when you know that in the midst of everything that's going on, in spite of everything that's going on, you see good people doing good things, you know, that, that makes me joyful. We can't end on a better note, Dave. That was incredible. You were so inspiring and we are honored that you were willing to spend time talking with us and sharing your story. I, I am in awe of what you have what you have and what you will continue to do and mean for this community. So thank you from us at United Way, from me personally, and from this community for what you have done and what you mean to so many families and individuals here. So thank you. I appreciate that. And, and again, from someone who's been involved now with United Way for, I guess, as both someone who's, who's benefited from the services to someone who's worked on its behalf to someone who's run organizations that wouldn't exist without United Way, I say thanks to y'all. Thanks to Dave Ernest with Bright Paths, my co-host Whit Richardson, and to all of you for tuning in for another episode of Know Your Neighbor. We're excited to have more opportunities for conversations with community members all across this region if you're ever curious about more of what we at United Way of Northeast Georgia do, please visit unitedwaynega.org. We are always here to help and serve you in our community. Tune in next week for another great episode of Know Your Neighbor. Mm-hmm.